This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yo, welcome back, everyone. Uh, thank you for the quick transition. I have to do the thumbnail. Um, I saw someone comment who else is bothered uh, that he didn't do number eight for the uh, the other thing. What was it? Documentaries. So we can do that at the end of this. So let's get started with story, love, action. Let's go. Episode 2 takes place 10 years after uh, Episode 1, and now Anakin is a Padawan learner, apprentice Jedi, and Obi-Wan is his mentor. Padme finished her term as the Queen of Naboo and has gone on to become a senator. The movie is essentially a story about Anakin and Anakin's uh, dealing with his emotions, the difficulty of his uh, being torn between his duty and his emotional uh, needs which relate to uh, Padme. Must be difficult having sworn your love to the Jedi, not being able to do the things you like. Or be with the people that I love. Are you allowed to love? Thought that was forbidden for a Jedi. It's uh, the beginning of the end of democracy in the Republic. We go to Camino, which is a very exotic, more fantastic science fiction -y kind of planet. Very surreal. also go to Geonosis, which is a planet of uh, insect-like creatures. In terms of the scope, visually, the amount of planets, the vehicles that have been designed for this, this is the most ambitious of all the various chapters that have been made already. This is back to the spirit of adventure, the excitement, uh, the drama. Everything is in this script that made people fall in love with the original Star Wars. Since episode one, he'll have been um, training Anakin heavily. Patience, use the force, think. Sorry, master. They're like um, two old friends who've been together a long time and who spend too much time together. You know I don't like it when you do that. Sorry, Master. I forgot you don't like flying. Well, you've lost it. If you'll excuse me. I hate it when he does that. Obi-Wan Kenobi's worried. Anakin's a bit uh, headstrong and um, 
overconfident. Boy has exceptional skills. But he still has much to learn, Master. His abilities have made him, well, arrogant. He loves Obi-Wan uh, because he is sort of a, a father figure for him. But at the same time, there still is that resistance because Anakin does want to break free of, of what he's doing right now. I'm ready for the trials, but he feels that I'm too unpredictable. He won't let me move on. She is now a senator. She had been the queen, but her reign ended, and the new queen asks her to stay and help out and be a senator, so she's still in the political scene. <laughs> Do you have any idea who is behind this attack? We will find out who's trying to kill you, Padme. I promise you. Escort the senator back to Naboo. She'll be safer there. They have to travel together a lot because he's protecting her. Throughout the film, they're put in these very extreme settings because they're in hiding. I don't even want to know how long it took Natalie Portman to be in hair and makeup for like every scene. You're making fun of me. Mm, no, no, I'd be much too frightened to tease a senator. <laughs> she really struggles with um, sort of the, the career versus romance um, issue. You're starting to become a Jedi. I'm, I'm a senator. We could keep it a secret. We'd be living a lie. I couldn't do that. Could you, Anakin? He understands that as a Jedi, he's not allowed to fall in love. Even though he feels so passionately for Padme, it's that confusion uh, that, that really causes him all of his anxiety. This one, obviously, we, we kind of know what happens to Anakin. Um, we just don't know how and why. It's all Obi-Wan's fault. He's holding me back. You're not all powerful, Anakin. Well, I should be. Anakin's flaws, like all classic mythological heroes, are the flaws that everyone carries with them. The issues that he's confronting is that a, a good Jedi overcomes those flaws and um, kind of goes above the normal human tragedy that most people have to uh, experience. What is it? Pain, suffering, death, I feel. Anakin is starting to display some interesting characteristics that need to be watched closer. Evil isn't just pure evil. A lot of times it comes from good. Episode two is sort of like a, an extended portrayal of how evil evolves. And it really allows you to, I think, feel for his struggle much more. And I think that uh, most people would make some of the same choices that Anakin does. It's no different than having somebody in your family that you love who's got a serious problem. There's not much you can do. You don't stop loving them. And I think that's what's going to happen, especially with somebody as good as Hayden. Cut. I go on a kind of Dick Tracy detective spree. <laughs> I've always wanted to have my own ship, and he gets one and gets to take off on it on his own adventure on this one. A bit like Luke Skywalker does in his X-Wing when he goes to find Yoda. They are using a bounty hunter named Jango Fett to create a clone army. Wait. Your clones are very impressive. You must be very proud. They'll do their job well. I needed a Jedi who was an older Jedi that had 
left the order, who was very good. I decided to go with a more elegant, sophisticated kind of person, reminiscent of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi as an older man. I play a character called Count Dooku, the battle-scarred Jedi. He's obviously a man of immense power, mental power and physical power. You must join me, Obi-Wan, and together we will destroy the Sith. Commerce skills are preparing for war, there can be no doubt of that. Why did he have two lightsabers? that of a mediator um, who believes in peace and the power of negotiation until it seems that it's absolutely inevitable and nothing else can be done. I will create a grand army of the Republic to counter the increasing threats of the Separatists. This is actually the beginning of the Clone War, so there's a lot of intense action sequences in this film. This is the heyday, the golden age of Jedi. They could just clip Jedi in large battles together because we've seen a lot of these scenes as a large group. And before we've never seen that before. There's always been a couple of Jedi fighting each other. It's a bigger part, and I do more things in it. That just means that I have to work a little harder, making sure I stay alive for the next. <laughs> I look at these as the swashbuckling adventures of the modern era. Right. To work on a film that has the scope of, of the Star Wars you know, saga, it's kind of like a dream come true for an actor, because you're doing something that you know is going to last forever. What more can an actor want in terms of being in a story which is immortalized in the eyes of millions of people? It's very rewarding, very enthralling and it's magic. I think people like seeing, you know, themselves in a fantastical world. It's really like a, a fun trip for the imagination. It's just the story of, of people wanting to break free from their surroundings and, and reach new ground. The struggle from, you know, the good side and, and, and the dark side. It's something that we, we all deal with that which I guess is a, a theme in all of the Star Wars movies. Next, love. Thank you, Hamza. Appreciate that, man. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah, I think with this one, they just took a bunch of clips and they just put it all together from stuff we've seen before. Uh, we've seen. Let's let's jump to action. All the Star Wars films are action films. Episode two is no different. And even though it's primarily a mystery and a love story, it has, you know, sizable action. People getting jacked in this movie. Well, hey, you know, it's a Star Wars movie. It is the classic big themes that make you think, but then it's really fun and action-filled and got the fights that are, you know, these modern sword fights. It's a magical world, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, and it, it continues. 
I look at these as the swashbuckling adventures of you know the modern era. So these are the new adventures that expand your imagination. Do you have any idea who's behind this attack? We will find out who's trying to kill you, Padme. They're trying to solve a puzzle. There's somebody's trying to kill Padme, and they're trying to figure out who and why. While she's asleep, a droid's come to the window to kill her. So we both sense that at the same moment and save the day. Obi-Wan goes after them, and I race downstairs to grab a speeder and go after them. And they go through everything. They're through buildings. They're upside down. They're shooting it. It's going to be a fantastic chase. It's so dense. Every single image has so many things going on. Follow that speeder! He went that way. This is a shortcut, I think. Before we had to do miniatures and stop motion, and now we can do things that were unthinkable before. I mean, you couldn't even think about having a chase through a city. In reality, to do it, we were in a speeder that was rocking about, and it actually made you feel rather sick after a while. It's like going on a <laughs> fairground ride over and over again, where you're not allowed to go and have a hot dog, you know? That was a <laughs> tough day. I was just being thrown around all day, trying to hold on and climbing all over the speeder. It's pretty nutty. You know I don't like it when you do that. Sorry, Master. I forgot you don't like flying. Well, you've lost it. If you'll excuse me. I hate it when he does that. They end up in the bowels of Coruscant, which we haven't seen before, where they crash and take off on foot. We go chasing through the streets. Uh, it was lots of fun to shoot, you know, and just knocking extras over and fell down a few oh, times. Oh, cool. No, you get lots of cuts and bruises filming this. While Anakin is sent to protect Padme, uh, Obi-Wan goes off to see if he can solve the mystery of who's trying to kill her. Dangerous and disturbing this puzzle is. I go on a kind of Dick Tracy de detective spree. It's good. It's really good. And uh, the plot deepens, you know. They are using a bounty hunter named Jango Fett to create a clone army. Wait. Is there a bloopers reel? It starts off at long range because once the once Obi gets near him with his lightsaber, he's going to be in trouble. Yeah, I'm to I find didn't that. use my lightsaber, and that's something a Jedi should never do. But After it was raining this. and it slipped. <laughs> Jango Fett is able to escape, and there's this wild chase through an asteroid field that is really spectacular. Blast! This is why I hate flying. This time I get to fly a really cool spaceship. A little starfighter of my own. A bit like Luke Skywalker does in his X-Wing when he goes to find Yoda, which is burning. It looks fantastic, this thing. After a really series of complex events, Obi-Wan gets captured in Geonosis, and Padme is hell-bent on going and saving Obi-Wan. They land on Geonosis, and then they get trapped into this droid factory. They made me look so cool. <laughs> they put me on a conveyor belt with nothing. It was all blue around me. So I basically had to run and dodge things and just completely making stuff up. And then they painted stuff around me that looks like I'm like jumping through things and I look so brave. It was pretty exciting. I felt very action star. Finally, both of them are caught and they are sentenced to be executed.
first they're about to be killed by the monsters and then shot by some droids and then the Jedi come to save them. In Phantom Menace, there were four or five Jedi. In this one, there are four or five hundred Jedi. We've never seen that before. There's always been a couple of Jedi fighting each other. Yeah, I think this is the first time that we really get to see all the Jedi in action, uh, which is an amazing sight. All Jedi don't fight exactly alike, so that each Jedi has his own particular style. A lot of the aggression that I hold in my character is exemplified in my fighting style. Jedis are always supposed to be very much in control of their emotions, and Anakin maybe loses control a little bit, and some of the darkness emerges. We've not seen Mace fight yet, and we know that he's second only to Yoda. Now I finally get to do it. I mean, it would be a shame for me to participate in a film like this and never get to use my lightsaber. Uh, so I'm, I'm amped. I was thinking about a style for him, but it's Sam Jackson's style, you know, that he has so much style of his own, there's very little you have to do. Since I'm supposedly the second baddest person in the universe, I dispense people pretty quickly. Confirmed. Use as little energy as possible, but I'm pretty lethal. Yoda I've probably more done more sword fights on celluloid than any actor in history, and this fight is greater than anything I've ever been involved in. It's not very fun not to have a lightsaber when everyone else gets a lightsaber. And I get these guns that look like little hair dryers. It was interesting to see her in combat mode. She's a real fighter. They wipe out a lot of the droids and everything, and they escape in these uh, gunships. And then you come out of the arena, and you realize that there's a bigger war going on, that all the Jedi have arrived with clones, and the clone army starts attacking the droid army. It's been a full-scale war since the formation of the Republic. Begun this clone war has. This takes the idea of a, a battle scene and takes it to the level that we'd always sort of been aspiring to but never quite got there. We have clones and droids and flying termites and rockets taking off, flying gunships, ground troops, 200 Jedi. It's much, much more complex than anything we've ever attempted before. There's some really good action in this movie. Uh, people are getting wiped out, man. There's some wipeouts in this movie. A lot of people think episode two is just a sweet intimate love story. Um, but actually, I think it's truly the most action-packed of all the films that we've done so far. So far. Until episode three rolls around. Dude, I can't wait to go through the bonus disc for episode three. Cannot wait. We'll probably be there sometime in August. We'll probably go through that sometime in August. It's going to take us probably, a, I don't know, what, like a week to go through episode one? five days if i do it every day i don't know i kind of just want to make this like a summer series and just do this every single day i think that'd be really fun we pretty much all the videos get copyrighted anyways because of the music but i just I, I have a really fun time doing this man it's summer why not must be difficult having sworn your life to the Jedi. 
not being able to do the things you like. I'll be with the people that I love. Episode two is George's first real um, romance movie. It's still got, you know, all of the classic Star Wars elements. It's got a lot of battles and stuff, but the story is really centered around this love story between Anakin Skywalker and Senator Amidala. In the earlier films, episodes four, five, and six, there's a there is a little kind of flirtation, but it's never carried very far. Obviously, Han Solo and 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 Leia fall in love with each other. You like me because I'm a scoundrel. There aren't enough scoundrels in your life. I happen to like nice men. Uh, but that isn't the sort of core of the story, and it takes place over three movies. This one, it's uh, a much more condensed. Uh, love story. There's still a lot of action and war. It's sort of a, a love story against the backdrop of a war. When George first began to speak to me about episode two, when George said to me, why don't you make a oh, wow. love theme? It's like the old Hollywood movies. It's introduced gradually when the lovers are reunited, not as lovers, but as acquaintances in the beginning of the film. Anakin has been in love with Padme ever since he was 10 years old. And he worshipped her when he was young. And now they're finally getting back together. You're sweating. Relax. I haven't seen her in 10 years, Master. When he first sees Padme, um, his attraction changes from when we first saw their relationship and how it left. Uh, you know, it was, it was a much more childlike affection. Annie? My goodness, you've grown. So have you. You've grown more beautiful, I mean. Well, for a senator, I mean. And he'll always be that little boy I knew on Tatooine. Padme just thought of him as a little kid. So it's Padme adjusting to the fact that he's now a grown-up guy. Sometimes we must do what is requested of us. You've grown up. And all of a sudden he comes back and she's like, wow, you know, he's grown up into this handsome young Hayden Christensen. So their relationship really goes from this sort of her looking down on this younger guy to him sort of proving himself as a real force. You are, Annie! It is you! <laughs> Jedi! What do you know? <laughs> Probably one of the nicest themes in all of Star Wars. Actually, theme the songs. undercurrent of the whole love theme is, is very touching, very sweet, and it's, it's more like courtly love. You're making fun of me. Mm, no, no, I'd be much too frightened to tease a senator. <laughs> we have a much more romantic story, so that Padme's costumes are obviously more sultry in nature. As George sort of progressed with the script, he sort of realized more that he wanted to show a softer, sort of friendlier side to, to Padme, where she could be looking sexy and, and gorgeous and young and in skimpy clothes. I think the biggest difference is that it's shown bit more skin in this one. This is my uh, sexed up version, I guess, of, of the queen. I got over the hump of 18, so I, I'm allowed to show tummy now, I guess. <laughs> There's romance for, you know, the kids who love romance stories, young girls. Young girls will be in love with Hayden, and you know, the guys are gonna be excited because Anakin's character's exciting, Obi-Wan's character's exciting. Escort the senator back to Naboo. She'll be safer there. They have to travel together a lot because he's protecting her because someone's trying to assassinate her. Don't do anything without first consulting either myself or the council. 
Yes, Master. He's constantly telling the Jedi Order that, that Anakin's not ready to be sent off on, a, on an assignment on his own. He's, uh, he says that his abilities have made him arrogant. Excuse me. I'm in charge of security here, my lady. That's not a good thing to be, and it's dangerous. And then they don't listen to him. And we all know what happens in the end. Throughout the film, you know, they're put in these very extreme settings because they're in hiding uh, that really lend themselves to, you know, falling in love. And, and they're uh, spending a lot of time in uh, a lakeside palace or in, you know, grassy fields. And it's really conducive to two people finding uh, very passionate emotions for each other. So then they sort of have these encounters where they, they discuss their ideas and they discuss their, you know, lives and he's trying to show off to her all the time, you know, probably in ways that he's not allowed to, you know, using sort of his Jedi tricks. Padme is a very strong-willed person, you know, he's not so much attracted to the power that she holds in her political arenas, but rather uh, the power and strength that she holds within herself. She's uh, very beautiful and intelligent, and it would be easy for anyone, I think, to fall in love with her. Padme is attracted to Anakin mainly for his looks. I mean, let's be honest now. <laughs> um, he allows her to be a little less serious about herself and laugh a little and, you know, fall in love. The love story is a very classic love story of uh, forbidden love. Uh, two people who fall in love with each other when they really can't do that. We could keep it a secret. We'd be living a lie. I couldn't do that. Could you, Anakin? It's a star-crossed set of lovers, really, where the lovers are separated by class or by family, as they are in Romeo and Juliet, or by rank, as they are in episode two. Be mindful of your thoughts, Anakin. They betray you. You've made a commitment to the Jedi Order, a commitment not easily broken. He understands that as a Jedi, he's not allowed to fall in love, even though he feels so passionately for Padme, and it's this sort of, uh, these conflicting emotions. Well, there are Jedi rules, you know, and one of them is that you don't, you don't fall in love, and he breaks those rules. He feels very passionately about becoming a, a great Jedi, but at the same time, he, he feels so passionately for Padme, and he's, it's that confusion uh, that, that really causes him all of his anxiety. It's the same struggle for, for Padme. She, she's the, so the more mature one, the more rational one, the one that's not letting her emotions run away with her. It's really a struggle for her to say, you know, can I be selfish and fall in love myself when I have all these aspirations and all these things I need to accomplish? So it's the struggle to sort of maintain some sanity in the uh, overwhelming wave of chaos brought about by love. He's holding me back! We have a sense with Anakin that there's a dark side to him, and his dark side already clouds the relationship. He does have an edge. He's got a sort of a James Dean, sullen edge to him. She sees this sort of darkness to him, but obviously that's always intriguing. Girls always like the bad boys. The anger is, is, a, is a product of his confusion. He's very passionate about it, the path that he wants to take as a Jedi. You know, he's very determined, and he feels like he's being held back. He wants to break free of that, but then at the same time, uh, you know, he's found this love in his life, which takes him in a completely different direction. 
the idealistic sunny aspect, hopeful aspect of what, of what we feel is balanced by the sense that, uh, that experience gives us that these relationships never quite work out the way we idealize them. And something will happen to tilt it. If evil can love, then what is evil? If, you know, love is what makes you human, and then is someone who is evil human still? I mean, it, it just makes all the questions involving the film a lot more complex. Yeah, they fall in love, and the struggle is whether they should allow this to happen to their lives, even though they know it's going to be very destructive. You know, in the end, they, they do decide to give in to their emotions, and ultimately they will suffer all the consequences of that. It was cool. I don't remember ever watching that one, the love one. It was like, ah, it's love, whatever. But it was actually really interesting. Let's go and uh, finish, what was it, the web documentary? Number eight, I believe I didn't finish. I didn't do, which I'm pretty sure I did. But let's see if I didn't. number eight a jigsaw puzzle building model communities i feel like we did see this one right one of the models but let's watch it anyways if we haven't seen it you know i think someday you're going to be able to oh no we didn't everything we can do with models we can do in a computer but okay. we're not there yet it just takes longer at this point in time for them to build and finish a cg model than it does for them just to build one constraints of uh, building miniatures around uh, a certain shot has just been blown wide open. We can, uh, we can do whatever wow. we need to do to get the image and then uh, it can be uh, doctored, altered, or, or touched up uh, digitally. Look at that, guys. The major shifts in visual effects since I've been in this profession, that is, uh, that's just uh, incredible. I just turned around and suddenly we're in the computer world. The models uh, are used as a starting point and then they are, have digital enhancements on top of them. So it's not like we just do the model and put it in the picture and it's done. So we got one side which we call a hero side of the model which is where we spend all our time making things real nice. Our miniatures are built with the filmmaking process in mind. We're not just building a piece of art, we're building something that needs to be photographed. This will actually break into several sections for shooting, which pieces will be removable uh, so cameras can get in and such. You, you can shoot attack them the various drones. angles and things of what you Hat? need for the scenes, but you can actually pull them out and move them around and, and reconfigure them. Terrific. Wow. Great. I mean, they all, it all just, you know, goes together like a jigsaw puzzle pretty quickly.
have people who have uh, very strong art backgrounds. We have uh, electricians, we have painters. You know, we're doing a lot of miniatures as uh, environments, so George went ahead and shot all of his actors in front of blue screens, and uh, we're creating the rooms that they're actually acting in. So this is a 10-scale miniature of the interior corridor. Here's the artwork we started with. Were those the heads so we of the Lost Pointy? miniature environment here, this hallway with Obi-Wan. That definitely sells it. Once a character goes into a model like this, it's a done deal, it's sold, and you really believe it. And what you're seeing is all this is uh, all, the, all the miniature stuff that we shot. And then the thing that you're missing here, because this is a shot in production, is all the digital stuff that goes in there that will wow. change. But I don't think the shot will change. I mean, we've, we've got that bug from, uh, from George. Whenever we change a shot, it's usually finished. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. It's really just a way of getting a lot of detail very fast without you know, having to spend a huge amount of time on the computer to do it. If the shot requires uh, the camera to be, say, inside a room or inside an environment, the detail and level of uh, model making needs to be exact and perfect. Sometimes it takes us a few tries to accomplish a perfect part. This one looks pretty good. You can see right here there's a dimple in the piece that can, that can really be highlighted and, and uh, blow it. So the idea is no dust, perfect part. Wow. We have model makers that know just how to make a model look like it's correctly aged and, and built and structured correctly and weighted. You know, it looks like a building has actually got the right weight to it. There's no detail on this plane at all, but by breaking it up with paint and creating aging and drips, it's an illusion of uh, a three-dimensionality to, to this part that doesn't exist. We have a limited amount of resources, a limited amount of time, and then uh, you build whatever you need to build to accomplish a shot. In, in the computer world, all the computer guys would need to learn how to make the models, but also make them um, or be able to render them in time, especially organic shapes, but even a lot of architectural models is very time consuming. Uh, and it's faster and better still to do a lot of work with models. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, you can see how they created the originals, you know, when there really wasn't any VFX. We got to see such a nice model on display and uh, they do the explosions and everything. And it's like, it's pretty cool, man. Um, I think that wraps it up for episode two. Texas Kitchen and Store Gallery, StarWars.com, deleted scenes, documentaries, theatrical trailers. I think I'm going to upload the theatrical trailers on their own without my face just for fun um so i get mad at people who say the prequels are bad because of cgi the prequels used more practical effects than the original trilogy yeah and a lot of people don't know that that's the problem so i'll give them credit on the visuals but they should have went with darth jar jar uh check out dex's kitchen they talk about sound effects okay let's do that 
I loved watching the Revenge of the Sith featurettes when I was younger. I love the series so far. If you could ask George one question, what would it be? Uh, I wouldn't ask him anything, I don't think. I, I think I would just say thank you. That's all I'd say. Films are not released, they escape. Creating a universe of sounds for episode 2. Archer 2 Beneath the Dome. Before and after montage of Island's visual effects. I want to see that. talking in this one.
That's yeah, pretty neat. Twenty-five minutes. Buckle in to make a stream just uh, for this. The sound is a very important part of the or picture. Just keep going. Is that just a uh, an assembly line thing where you sort of cut the picture and then you just dump the sound on later? It's a much more uh, thought out than that. The sound effects in Star Wars are really what gives these fantastic visuals credibility. And we just take for granted that these machines, these weapons, these aliens, Enjoy your stay. these places are all real. But there always had to be someone selecting or creating the sounds that uh, would be put into the soundtrack. And um, there's a real legacy there. The recordings live on. You know, we have over 5,000 sounds in the Star Wars library, and uh, I've been recording things since about 1975. And I've kind of kept a mental record of the things we've recorded, kind of a living database, I guess. Quite often, I go back to the original tapes to find new material that um, we've never sampled before. Uh, but the, the stock is breaking down chemically. But we have found they can be resurrected if we place them in an oven, which warms the tapes up and will restore it so we can actually play it on one of our ancient quarter-inch tape machines. You have to learn to bake them correctly. If they're left in too long, you end up with this interesting piece of art. It used to be sound. <laughs> I don't know. You can uh, use these recordings as a uh, inspiration sometimes for new things. I've been working with Ben Bird, our sound designer, on episode two for the last couple of years. And uh, he's the godfather of the Star Wars sound universe. Make sure six is done in the first part of April. Most people don't realize all the different sound elements that make up a final soundtrack of a film. It's pretty rough right now. Like the Foley and the sound effects and the ADR and the production dialogue. And that process will take about a year before we get to the mix. We're always on the alert for new sounds. And it's a 1942 gas air raid alert sign. It's, it's disgusting. We collected a bunch of mechanical sirens, and that one was a real star. We took it and recorded it down in the parking garage so it really would echo. Now, we used this for the speeder's dive in the speeder chase. I love mechanical sounds, you know, things that are especially old devices, things that aren't, you just can't find them anywhere. One of the sounds we gathered was uh, the Vickers Vimy biplane, which Matt went out and recorded. The sound of that airplane uh, ended up being used for the sound of the gunships that are in the Clone War at the end of the film. Some of the sound of that uh, biplane was I pitched it up and made it higher pitched sound out of it for the Geonosian fighters. I'm the supervising sound editor. I provide him raw sound effects elements. The main thing when you're out recording is you're just going to look for something unique. 
something you hear, you haven't heard it before, and you grab it, and you can use it for, you know, anything. <laughs> the droid factory sequence required practically every bit of machinery we've ever recorded. Machines that we recorded back as far as Empire Strikes Back, some no way. stamping machines that were used. I found in the past that we've used almost every sound we've recorded by the end of the film. That's crazy. All of those bits and pieces were brought into the sound design room and reworked to create new sounds out of them. I always wanted to blend the literal with the non-literal. Always, we've made machine sounds, stamping, cutting, banging, the things you might expect with these machines. But this is a foreign alien world. What's to say it would sound like the Ford Motor Company? It should have some other otherworldly quality to it. I'm constructing this mentally as I go, so it's sort of a intensive. It's composition. The idea of using percussion musical sounds intermixed with the actual organic sounds of the machinery. So it'll be a little bit of a surprise, have some kind of dramatic freshness to it, than to be just what the audience may expect going in. So we're just going to try it, and we can keep it separate, we can throw it away, we can use it. I just want to have follow through on this idea. There's dialogue <laughs> replacement because the set often can be very noisy. If uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan are riding in the speeder, well, there's wind machines blowing on them. The track is just unusable. Um, it's recorded, and then it uses a guide for the actors to come in and repeat their performances to get a clean and intelligible version of, of the dialogue. Has they all left to come to the ADR session yet? You call it Nabu, don't you? Nabu. 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 Yeah, let me just do a wild take of struggles and I can cut yeah. that down. It's not like she has dialogue to remember. That's true. It's not dialogue, it's just struggling. It's just struggling. Okay. Here we go. Good. Yep. Well, that was good. What's in a movie we do? Exactly. <laughs> An action picture. Here we go for take two. That was good. That was great. Yeah, I think we got that covered. I'm doing I Hit the Ship as well, aren't I? Yeah. Yes, it's all part of the same thing. Here we go. Take one. I hit the ship, but they used a decoy. I got the sink on that one. That was great sync. That was great, that too. Was great. Right. Was he happy? That, that was, was really happy. Good. I'm very happy for that one. That just, just, I want one more for safety, and where I think we what? got it. What? Sorry. I'm sorry. I need one more. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to look out for something. You used to care. I still care. 
I hit the ship, but they used a decoy. See, that's now I got so much more to work with. Okay, that was great. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm fine here. Made my night. Okay. That's cool, man. <laughs> you have the digital characters too, which you have to start from scratch. Take three, buddy. The Padawan is right, and only those who have turned to the dark side can sense the possibilities of the future. On this film, we're going to record something like close to 900 lines of the dialogue. Mm. Meditate on that. I will. Or I must. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well get three in a row, right? <laughs> beautiful. I think that's beautiful. I don't, that was take two or take one? That, that was, was take six. two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, take two is the one. So, oh, I think we've done so it. cool, man. I think we can go home now. Yeah. May I present Lama Su, Prime Minister of Kamino. And this is Master Jedi, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Koya? Hi. Yes? Um, I'm just about done with spotting Lama Su here, so we're going to need to take this. This is the composite reel you gave me from the picture department. I don't have time to send anything FedEx. If you could put it up on our um, internet server for Sound Farm over in Sydney, so they'll have the same media we have. And then I'll just make sure that the tie line's working, which is going halfway around the world. Okay. How far away are they? 15,000 miles? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. So the actor's in Sydney, and George and I are going to be in his theater in the main house. Long distance looping. Yeah. <laughs> the audio is going via ISDN. It's being encoded on both ends to sound CD quality. And then the video is actually, I've got duplicate video on both sides, and I'm just sending control information to both. Uh, so I'm not actually sending video. Fett demanded only one thing, an unaltered clone for himself. Curious, isn't it? I have to hear it again. Yeah, I think you had it, just you were just one beat <clears throat> too early. Fett demanded only one thing, an unaltered clone for himself. Curious, isn't it? Nice. That was really good for the whole thing. This is the best we've ever had it in terms of the setup and the quality, yeah. the ability to actually do it. And yeah. This works amazingly well considering that they're in Australia and we're here. We tend to work with a smaller crew over a longer period of time compared to other feature films. We actually have a very small sound editing crew. We really did this film with two principal sound effects editors. We have those elements of the metal, mm -hmm. and then I'm gonna add some dirt in. And then we still have these unrolling effects too, which are when the... Bruce has been doing all the Geonosian crowds and all the crashes and impacts and you know, that sort of thing. Terry's working on the lasers. I'm doing the creatures. Um, some poor person is going to have to do all the lightsabers. Right. <laughs> Who is that person? Hiya, Terry. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> so what do we have today? Do I hear the arena? A little bit of it, sure. See how dense it is. No, that's not enough lasers. Wow. See, see, they'll probably be shooting in those marching shots. You know, uh -huh. I, yeah. I, I just don't know. But that's great. 
Um, There'll be more laziness than ever before in any Star Wars movie. Density. I think so. <laughs> Very good. So I'm off to my next round. Keep up the good work. Foley are the sound effects that are really too specific to be found in a library. I got the, uh, the dippity-doo and the chamois. Yeah, I'm going to bring this over. We'll spot the scenes uh, with the Foley department, and they will go through like an old radio play and perform them like with props. And uh, the Foley editors will then put that in exact sync with the picture, and we'll mix it down as part of the effects track. There was some really excellent Foley sounds done by Denny Thorpe and Jana Vance for the cahoons okay, crawling across the floor. Give it a go. Thank you. Oh, wow. No way. If it's asteroids exploding and, you know, rocket ships flying by, that wouldn't be us. We carry the reels that have a lot of people that are moving and walking and doing stuff. It just gives an added level of realism to the scene, especially if you're dealing with digital characters that have no sound whatsoever. Yeah, that's really good. That's awesome. Nice job recording too, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> that one was not so good. No Maybe way. let's make them like little a little like parting because there you can see that they're still together and uh -huh. that they're gonna come back together and then we'll get a, okay. another one. But we gotta make it sound, you know, passion. No way. This okay. changes We're the scene so forever. Oh my gosh. You can't rip anymore, it's not film. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. <laughs> ben, you're sweating. <laughs> Is that an elbow kiss or a forearm kiss or? You know, you have to kind of know what you're doing. Oh. With your... <laughs> yeah, I don't want to know. It was great. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the next thing. Oh gosh. <laughs> right now, I'm just trying to create some buzzy, insecty kind of sounds out of actual speech. We started out speaking English, and then we slowly changed it word at a time. And then we started talking through the edge of a piece of paper, making a buzzy sound. Look up the I started cutting it up in little pieces and changing the speed, do it, make it so it's too fast. You know, you could never say it this way live. We talked about the idea that since Poggle apparently has two mandibles, he has an up and down and a side to side, like a like uh -huh. a grasshopper. And that if I make this sort of buzzy thing, he would go, he would just kind of do that with a funny little animation with part of his well, mouth this is, it's and good, talk. It's important this be articulate like this, because yeah. I think it is reasonably articulate. I mean, this is the most organic in terms of it's not pitch changed or anything, so there's right. no electronic aspect to it. He said, we have no choice but to order our treat. Uh-huh, okay, he's more emphatic so about it. So he's much more emphatic about yeah. it, but it means you need to, you should really see it. As long as you keep not going on simultaneously. Right. Like if you butt against each mm -hmm. other, a word can form into that, it sounds great. Yeah, it's good, it's the last, uh, the last voice in the whole film right now for me. From here on in, it's just a giant mix. Oh, my God.
we're here finally. My job is to work with the editors to make sure that uh, we get all the elements of the film, like the foley, the sound effects, the uh, replaced dialogue, the production dialogue, and the sound design, and to make sure that they get all of those elements into sync with the most current picture, and then we bring that to the mix. The final mix lasts for about a month on a Star Wars film. We go into a dark room every day, and we listen uh, to every sound and every bit of music and every bit of dialogue, and we inch our way through each scene, sometimes only completing a few minutes a day. Wow. He can immediately decide whether he you know, wants some major changes of some sort, uh, often tearing George things apart and putting them back together a the different way until we find that. something like, that really satisfies us all and will satisfy George Lucas. Gary and Ben are in charge. There's anybody else who has any power over here. Yeah, the first day of the final is always uh, always uh, unknown. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen until you start running it all together. The whole problem is that we haven't heard Michael's done the dialogue. He hasn't really heard everything that we've done in effects. We haven't heard the music at all. So it all throw it all into the pot right off the bat. And then sometimes sort it out. it's a surprise how it all sounds together. It's kind of like brainwashing in a way. You you go in and you're in the dark. There's loud sounds. There's one source of light on you. <laughs> the pop, boop. Oh, anybody stood up to attention? You hear things over and over and over again. Yeah, be careful with their their little squeaky sounds, little chirpy chipmunk sounds. Yeah, there's some great foley in here, but I guess you don't have foley, do you? <laughs> there's a little cutie stuff in there. I think it's, it's too close to what R2 does, and it's also... I think that is R2. It's R2 sleeping off screen. He's oh, snoring. Well, get rid of it. He's paid by the beep, George. Yeah, he jabbers. R2 was lost, and I hope he's not too disappointed. But it happens to all of us. We do things that get cut out of the movie, <laughs> you know? I've done a million things that are cut out of the movie, so. It would be nice R2 if we could snoring. record a, for you know that guy that almost runs into Obi-Wan, the, not the two guys, but the first guy? Uh-huh. Right. Maybe you should say, what the? Uh, it's a traditional line. It's in all the movies. What the? That would be a good place for it, I think. Uh, what the? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the beep beep. <laughs> the Tucker. Well, now we got real one done. Now what do we do? Beep it up real two, please. Uh, well, good luck. <laughs> Take two after and call me in the morning. <laughs> but minor details, they add up to things. They can add up to significant changes if you do enough of them. Coming right up here, it's like, it's like that and that. So what I'm doing now is a welding, which is, I think, going to take a while. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm not rushing you. I just no, I'm just, I'm just thinking checking ahead. in. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. Burt. Cookies. Who's got cookies? Okay. I guess we're on effects. <laughs> You know, it needs to be more like chattering, you know, like, like crying. And that kind of stuff. Not, 
This kind of. Can you borrow that microphone for a second? <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you hear the droid factory. There's a real collision of. A cacophony of craziness? Of movie styles coming together. What do you think about this? <laughs> well, uh, it's a tough one. I just don't think the percussion is strong enough to withstand what's going on in there. Uh, I think yeah, we should just alternate. replace the, the uh, percussion part with effects. In actuality, some of the musical sounds that I had made for the Droid Factory, the drums and things like that were dropped, but I re the re idea was sort of reborn in the monster fight rhythmic sounds that acted as a response to events on the floor of the arena. Horns, as if uh, it was a sports, uh, you know, a wild sports crowd blowing horns and chanting. Kinds of things that we immediately associate with the emotions of a giant crowd in the stadium. It was a good trade, actually. Because that's the nature of making these films, that you can always change something, and there's always a, you can revisit a scene and, and evaluate it one more time. It's, a, it's an ongoing process that is really only brought to the end uh, by the calendar. I don't know whether I should bring it up now, but I guess I should. Yeah. I had a rather, uh, this is just an aside, <laughs> which will probably cause you a lot of angst. But we're almost done, so I can't do this anymore. It's back in Palpatine's office, the little hologram comes on, right. and he says, good, we'll deal with this later, send them in. Yeah. That should really be good, send them in, we'll deal with this later. See what you can do. I'm gonna cook up some, uh, cook up the words. Good. Send them in. We will discuss this matter later. I don't think so. <laughs> what is this sound? <laughs> I'm not gonna go tell you. <laughs> Actually, it's arcing. It's electrical arcing. And 25 years ago. Yeah. Just seems like it's not good enough. There's always a point toward the end during the final mix that I can actually sit down and address the absolute final details. And it adds what I would say the final accent to a moment in the film. During the asteroid chase, which is basically a sound effects only sequence, it was hard to come up with a sound for the seismic charge that would have dramatic contrast to every sound that had just preceded it. It didn't occur to me until we were in the final mix, struggling with this problem, that it, the best solution might be to have no sound. I reasoned that all energy was pulled into it. No sound could escape. And it was only after it had detonated that somehow the energy was released and then the sound occurred. I created what I call an audio black hole. Certainly at this point, it's just gonna be minor details that are changing. It will shape the reels all together as if it was final and then play it for him again and he'll, but he'll decide. Creates a vast amount of havoc at this end if you make changes after the mix. Yes, it's a little complicated. 
It's inevitable, George. You've done it every time. Yeah, it's just, you know, what would it be without a sync change in seven? We wouldn't feel right. Every filmmaker feels that as long as there's time, there's something they can do to improve the movie. New animation or something? Well, no, we made some changes on the Monica one, and they hadn't gotten into the deluxe one because they were trying to go so fast. Uh -huh. But I said, no, go back and make it right before you make the printing masters. You know, there's a reason why we improve a shot. Right. <laughs> and then it's just traditional to work until someone just takes it away from you. You know, films are not released, uh, they escape. I know, George. It was the first time, time through the whole movie. Yeah, it's like, and, uh, I just, this is normally what people get to see at the first rough cut screen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't look at it and just sort of think of all the hours. You know, just that we've oh, lived with this yeah, for two years. Yeah. And, and it's a matter now of meeting or not meeting expectations. That's that whole factor you yeah, can't that, predict. Hey, we're beyond that now. We've finished right. it. It's a movie. We're done it. We, did it. we did our part. <laughs> <laughs> I find ADR to be probably the most interesting, one of the most interesting parts of movie making. And that's where, like we saw with uh, Zam Wessel, you take the actor after the fact that you've actually shot the shot, and then you put them in the studio and make them voice the lines again. Um, just because in the studio when you're filming, obviously things are loud, right? The fans, the people, whatever. That's pretty cool. This wraps up. Uh, should we watch this beneath the dome? I guess why not? A story of passion. You're a feisty little one. Of tenderness. But I've never seen such devotion in a droid before. Of courage. That little droid did it! This fall, Lucasfilm Limited takes you beyond the mystery. When I saw him, I said, ah, this guy's perfect. You know, I hope he speaks English. Behind the facade. He and I have been at odds, and uh, there's actually a lawsuit pending, so a lot of this I can't talk about. <laughs> R2-D2, Beneath the Dome. <laughs> Emerging from a past shrouded in mystery, R2-D2 burst into the American consciousness with his star-making role in Star Wars, A New Hope. He was actually at the University of Arizona trying to study theater. They had taken a couple classes, but mostly he was what the hell is this? an ash can. He was doing an amazing production in A Christmas Carol. He was Tiny Tim. And I think he had played in some of the early clubs during the early 60s in England. He trained with the June Taylor dancers years ago, and he was just, you know, he's a hoofer. I'm not real sure that that um, accent is like the real deal. You know, I mean, homeboy is probably like from Detroit or somewhere. I'd heard that he was doing some experimental dance. You know, that was sort of in the 60s. I don't think anybody remembers anything about what happened in those years. When we were starting, he was a sweet young uh, droid and, and very anxious to please. He'd go and get you coffee or something. We actually tried to get uh, him R2-D2 in The Godfather. If I 
remember correctly, he wanted him for the Michael Corleone role. Since I've read the book, I mean, I could just see him in those scenes when he's walking through the Sicilian countryside with the two bodyguards with their shotguns. And so kind of that image always made me persist in trying to get him the part, but um, they didn't see it. They, uh, Bob Evans called him a runt. Though The Godfather slipped through his grasp, Star Wars made R2 an international star. Still, he yearned for more. I think he really wanted to be in the Indiana Jones series. So as soon as he heard that Stephen and I were doing something, he immediately said, uh, you know, can I have the lead in this? One day in the, uh, in the prop department, he, we found him and he had the hat and the whip. Well, as an actor, you have no to understand way. R2 is limited. He used to say he would like to have been a Shakespearean actor. Uh, he could carry a spear. He heard, I think it was uh, Kenneth Branagh was doing uh, Richard III, and he auditioned for The Hump, and he was very sad not to get it. <laughs> His glory days behind him, R2 faced an uncertain future. After the completion of Return of the Jedi, all of us went off to other things in our career, and R2 was left in his beach house in Malibu with nothing to do, you know, watch the tide come in and out. It was a dark time for him. A lot of things went on during those lost years. He just kind of uh, did a few independent films, and then he was doing some commercials. I heard that he had, on the side, without telling anybody, had done some dinner theater and some other kinds of things. I mean, R2, at a certain point, uh, he started drinking a lot. I went to see him. He was living in a cabin, just alone. Didn't take care of himself. He was rusty. He had, had let his hair grow. He is somebody that I felt uh, could have benefited very much from Prozac. No event contributed more to R2's downfall than the good fortune of a close friend. I know very well that Rick and R2 were friends at one point. They used to hang out together and party together. But after Rick's Academy Award, R2 didn't talk about him anymore. Well, we haven't spoken in a long time. And I'm not surprised that he was uh, unhappy that I won because uh, he and I have been at odds. You know, he's a keen follower of the Academy Awards. I don't think he's an actor. I think he's a personality. Notice that no one else hires him. Notice that. I don't think George is aware. You know, no, no who's going to walk up to George and say R2-D2 is a schmuck? Anxious to help R2, George Lucas made a call to an old friend. Can't believe they At made this. At one point, George asked me, you know, is there a place for him in Private Ryan? And for a while, I considered making him a beach obstacle. This Ironically, is... it would take the return of the Star Wars series to resurrect R2's career. When we came back to do uh, The Phantom Menace, he was very excited to be a part of it. It wasn't until we actually started shooting that he started to act up. There's been rumor that this... he likes to drink, I think, so sometimes the uh, dialogue comes out, oh, just backwards, you know. The other day he had a line with Obi-Wan, right, and he was meant to say... Right? Yeah. And instead he said... And thought that like none of us would know it. You don't talk droid, do you? He's always on the phone with his agent, like between scenes and stuff, and he's always talking about what he's doing next. When it's his close-up, you know, I give him my full performance, <laughs> and then when it's my close-up, he just reads it from a little page, and it affects my work. <laughs> it's when the girls started coming around. It's these girls, man, in these short dresses and these tight clothes, man. It's like something he hadn't been exposed to. He certainly doesn't have any problem attracting them, so there must be something there. I guess it's just the way he looks. I can't deny that he's a good-looking robot. This fall, there's only one place to experience the genius. R2 is a brilliant actor. His timing is impeccable. He's like a machine. Feel the anguish. When you're at crotch height, it, it's hard to make a good impression. Discover <laughs> the truth. The success has gone to his dome, I think. In an exclusive multi-part documentary available only at StarWars.com, R2-D2, Beneath the Dome.
I've never seen this. I did not know this was a thing. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Dude, okay, well that's one way to end episode two's bonus DVD. Thank you so much for being part of the series. Um, it's only the beginning. We've only begun. So I would say uh, tomorrow we have the rule of two with James Arnold Taylor. So be there for that. Five o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And then uh, Tuesday, I guess we can start. Forget lore videos, man. Let's start on Phantom Menace bonus DVD. I want to see all the stuff with um, Qui-Gon Jinn, Ewan, everybody. All right. Um, uh, maybe even little Annie, you know, um, and George, of course. Love you guys. Catch you later. Uh, see you on the gaming channel. And uh, let's all pray for R2, okay? Let's hope, he, let's hope he comes out of this. Have an awesome day, guys.